Pray with me now. Holy Spirit, please open uh, our hearts and minds to your word as we open ourselves to your word. Jesus, as we choose to be open, may your Holy Spirit just cultivate that openness and receptivity to the truth of your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. There's now a video that proves a long-running belief. And some thought it was just a conspiracy theory. Namely, that all the Pixar movies were secretly connected somehow to each other. Not in theme or plot, but in terms of planting something somewhere in each of the movies that connects it to one or more of the other Pixar movies, from Cars to Toy Story to Monsters, Inc. And you can YouTube later. All Pixar movies are linked and see a three-minute trailer that, that some of you will just enjoy so much. Well, we're in a seven-week series we're going through the whole Bible, and we're looking at different sections, but we're also seeing that there's one thing throughout, consistently throughout, one big story throughout the entire Bible. That parallel is a little different than what I just said about the Pixar movie, but that's okay. 66 books here. 66 books written by 40 different authors in three different original languages from three different continents in the world at the time over a very long period of time. And the fundamental message is consistent throughout its entirety. Namely, the message of God's plan for eternal salvation available to anyone, to anyone who would trust and place their faith in Jesus Christ and receive his gift. Two Sundays ago, we looked at the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch, uh, Penta, meaning five, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, uh, Deuteronomy, uh, which tell us about the beginning of everything, including the establishment, as we said then, uh, of the Jewish family through whom would come the Savior, God in taking on human flesh, being born, God taking on flesh, being born as a, as a human being. That's why this nation, this people, is referred to as God's chosen people. doesn't mean he loves them more than he loves you. It just means that it's true. For whatever reason, God's sovereignty. He's in control. He can do what he wants. He can choose what he wants and who he wants. And he chose this Jewish family to be the group of people through whom he would send Jesus, his son. What a, what a mind-blowing and love-expressing uh, action that God took for our eternal good in that, sending his son. And then we flew over the history books last Sunday that detail the life and events of the people of Israel. Uh, today we're looking at a section of five books called Wisdom Literature. In various ways, each of these five books help us answer a crucial question of life. You've probably asked it before, hopefully you have, of yourself. What is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? A question that Jesus wants us to, to ask ourselves. And life, you know it, has lots of questions, doesn't it? 
from when we were very young. I've got a three-year-old grandson. The why question is huge right now. Lots of questions in life. Is she the one for me? Should we have two kids or five kids or nine kids or none? Hmm. Should I take a copy of that final exam study key that somehow my friend got his hands on? Should I entertain that amazing offer that came my way, even after so many years of doing what I know in work life? Should I make my coworker look bad if I have the opportunity? Before you judge me, he took the promotion that I deserved. What's a wise thing to do? Ah, there's other questions, but what's a wise thing to do? Should I go into debt so I can drive a brand new car no matter what? Pretty common these days. A lot of questions in life. And the question, what is the wise thing to do, is the question that helps us answer all other life questions, and answering it well will help us avoid something that we all have in various ways, to varying degrees, I'm sure. Regret. Regret. Sadly, too often, we realize that we didn't use wisdom there uh, or there only after it's too late. The Bible gives wisdom all over the place, as in Ephesians 5, as an example. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And we get back to this section of the Bible. Nowhere is wisdom and advice from God's perspective, uh, wisdom and advice for life, more concentrated and more practical than in this section of wisdom literature. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. So, Job gives it in a story. Psalms gives it in songs and poems. Proverbs gives it in short and insightful sayings. Ecclesiastes is like a, like a long blog of some person looking back over the years of their life. If you've read it, you know that. Song of Solomon gives wisdom in a love poem, actually. Each of these books display a unique perspective on human life, offering, offering wisdom, offering warnings, offering counsel. And, and so... In the next little while, we're, gonna, we're just going to fly over each of these wisdom-lit books and, and see the 30,000-foot view this morning. So first, Job. Job. Those of you who know a little bit about the book, um, sometimes they just, we don't, quite, we, don't, we don't quite know what to make of it, eh? Tells the story of, thank you. Job, very good. He's a God-fearing man. He's a good man. He's a God-honoring man. And his life is, is going well. The devil, Lucifer, who, by the way, is not a fictitious person. He is not an imaginary figure. He is a real being who was originally created, according to the Bible, by God as a beautiful angel. And pride entered his heart at one point in history past, and therefore he got kicked out of heaven. The Bible says a, a lot of the angels sided with Lucifer, and so they also were escorted to the front gates, and their keys to heaven were taken away. Things changed in the universe from that point on. 
You read about it in Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14. Ever since that time, Satan has been trying to derail God's good purposes, starting with the Garden of Eden, where, we, where, where he successfully uh, enticed Adam and Eve away from God's loving leadership, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Well, in Job 1 here, we see Satan, uh, it says he, he's roaming throughout the earth in verse 7 of chapter 1 of Job. He, he's up to no good again. He's roaming the earth. He's called the accuser. In Revelation 12, you've probably heard his whisper that comes in a thought that you're no good, that God won't forgive you again. And he begins to accuse. Please don't listen to that. It's lies, according to what Scripture says. There's a reason he's called the accuser. It's what he does, and he does it well. And sadly, sometimes he's successful. Because we believe him. And so here he is in Job. He's on the hunt for subjects to mess with. And God knows this. The next thing, God starts boasting about one of his kids, Job. Have you considered my servant Job? Blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. Yeah, that's my boy. Well, the devil turns that conversation into one of his scheming opportunities and says to God, the only reason Job loves you and worships you is because you've given him health and wealth. If you let me, Adam, Job will curse you to your face, God. Well, it's only Job then that can really prove the accuser wrong. So Satan is given. He doesn't take... But by God, he, he is. He's given limited, but gradually increased access to torment Job. And in that torment is the testing. First, Satan takes his possessions, and then he attacks his family, and then finally his own physical well-being. Job's reaction? Grief and pain, for sure. For sure. And yet he remains faithful. He remains faithful to God. Even though his wife and his friends challenge him and try to get him to curse God, Job refuses to do that. And yet Job does, he, he still asks the question of God. He, he asks the why quite. Why? He asks the why of it all. And he's honest about the pain. When he cries out to God, I, I wish I'd never been born. Why didn't I die? Childbirth. In Job 3. You know, God's big enough to handle our why questions. As long as we don't park there, because that's the place of bitterness taking root and poisoning us, the Bible says, and others. Maybe you've seen that in your life or somebody else's. Dangerous place to be spiritually, relationally, emotionally, all of that. God's big enough to handle our why questions as long as we don't park there in bitterness. I once heard a wise person in our church family talk about this, and we were talking about the why question. And he put it this way. He just simply said, why not me? We, we, easy to cry, why me? Why not me? In this world that is sin-marred and, and, and broken, I'm part, why not me? Job gets to the place where he says in Job 40, how could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. 
I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. And Miriam's writing that down for me to memorize this week. Hmm. Within Job's expression to God, there is couched a question that many people have asked over the centuries, and today, of course, it's asked, why do, good, uh, why do bad things happen to good people? Job's friends conclude that Job's afflictions must be punishment for his sins. As a matter of fact, it's the way many people think today. You deserve what you get. It's almost like they buy into this idea of, of karma or a version of karma. Sometimes even Christians. When bad things happen to good people, there's often there's confusion. There's even anger. But the book of Job brings a different perspective to the problem of evil. It reminds us that there is a devil this Lucifer who is involved in human affairs. He is an evil being who is intent on undermining the relationship between God and us in any way he can. Look at 1 Peter 5.8 in the New Testament. Like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour in any way he can. And, and, and that's, that's really what Job is about. Remember, the devil said that the only reason Job followed God was because God was blessing him. And, and Satan was sure that if the blessing was taken away, the relationship would dissolve. Well, if that is ever the case, then the relationship is, is, is not really much of a relationship at all, is it? And so when God said to Satan, okay, let's, let's see. He was essentially saying, the relationship Job has with me goes deeper than you think, Lucifer. Job will pass the test. And so, as hard as it is in some ways still to get our minds around this, Job's suffering is not without meaning because his relationship with God is proven genuine and deep. And Satan is silenced in the process. And, and God restores to Job more than he previously had. Like happened in the life of Job, suffering is allowed in our lives sometimes. And when it is there, it is a test. Whether it's something we've arrived on because of being in a broken world or, or God allowed it or... You could even make a case biblically at times that, that, that God placed us there. It's a test to deepen our faith, to, to grow our character. That'll happen if, if we respond in trust and surrender in the midst of the pain. Yet many times the suffering we see around us and, and our, our own experiences of suffering are, are, are simply a direct result of original sin. And, and a reminder of the fact that we live for a time in a broken world that came about as a result of the sinful choice that our first human parents made, as we, again, talked about a couple of weeks ago, briefly. The great thing is that it's through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that everything will, at some point in the future, be restored fully to the way God originally intended it to be beyond what we're getting to experience now as Christ followers, that that right relationship with him, with, with God has been restored. The opportunity made, 
made free and clear by what Jesus did. But, but we're talking everything as we look ahead in, in biblical uh, prophecy and future and a new heaven and new earth the Bible talks about. We'll, we'll touch on that in, in the weeks ahead. Need to move on. Psalms. Psalms. One of the most loved, hey, of, of the 66 books. Many of you, that resonates. Psalms is, is written by various authors. David wrote the most. Uh, Psalms is, again, a collection of prayers and songs that, that have become some of the most famous writings in the world. For example, if these words... Um, if you hear these words, you probably know right away where they come from. Even uh, Probably a lot of people even who don't read the Bible or haven't for many, many years uh, would recognize these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's the old way of saying, I, I, I will lack nothing. I, the, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And then a few verses later, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. It doesn't mean you're going to be in church every day. It means you're going to be in his presence wherever you are. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23. Now there aren't many commonly asked questions that come out of Psalms, but one that's occasionally asked is about a, a single word that shows up uh, 71 times in Psalms in the, the, the New King, King James. There's the word selah, selah. In Psalm 66, it appears three times. Example, the end of verse 4, the, uh, verse 4 says, all the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praises to your name, selah. What does that mean? We don't actually know. Disappointed? No. There's some good conjecture. But literally, 100%, there's not a, there's not a we don't know 100%. But it sounds kind of cool, doesn't it? Selah. Doesn't it feel restful? I don't know. Well, again, there's been some explanations offered. One is that it's, it's a kind of notation in the Psalms, that, uh, that a worship leader, David, musician, worshiper, that, that, that a worship leader would, would, re would understand at the time. Uh, the most common thought about this word is that it indicates a place, and this makes sense, where the, the reader or the worshiper would slow down or, or even stop to ponder, to truly think and ponder what was just said and, and take it in. I think we need that, especially in this fast-paced culture we live in. And, and like me, some of you, your MO is the same. You're, you're, you're pedal to the metal. And so this, this works. This is, a, this is a good reminder when we're reading God's Word. Slow down. It doesn't mean don't read a lot, but, but there's times when it's just, oh, I've got I to gotta stop there in that paragraph, in that chapter, in that verse. <laughs> uh, soak it into my heart and mind. Push the pause button. And be refreshed inwardly by the expressions of praise and trust and worship that we, uh, that, that we see written in the Psalms particularly. And that's where this Selah word uh, appears. The, the beauty and power of the Psalms are found when we let them direct our thoughts and our hearts toward God. But that takes intentionality to, to allow that to happen, right? So I hope you, I hope you do that. Many of the Psalms are, are prayers, so it's very appropriate and helpful to pray them as if they were your own. Have you ever done that? It's a, it's a cool experience. 
approaching your time in the Word uh, prayerfully with an open heart and, and, and taking these words as if they were... Uh, try it. Try it this week. It's powerful. Someone might say, well, I, I don't know how best to worship God. Well, how about you, you could open well, any number of Psalms, of course, but Psalm 8. And, and begin to express the words from Psalm 8 to God as if they were your own. Do it. Try it. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Your, your, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. And on and on through the rest of the verses of that psalm. That's not plagiarism. That's what God wants for his written word in our lives. He's okay with that. Maybe you struggle with how to confess sin. Go to, go to Psalm 51. And begin to make that prayer your own when you know you failed God. Psalm 51. is David's prayer of confession after his sin of adultery. You can read the story in, in 2 Samuel 11. I encourage you actually to do that. And then go to Psalm 51 and see, wow, wow. What a, what a powerful confession in light of what David did. A man that the Bible calls a man after his own heart. doesn't mean he was perfect. None of us are as human beings. It just means that he's willing to ask for forgiveness and receive it. He has an open heart to God. So make Psalm 51 your prayer of confession. In those little or big things, sins that, as, as you view them, little or big. Psalm 51. Or, or maybe you want to simply spend time expressing thanks to God. Open Psalm 100 and let it be your own prayer of thanks to God. The Psalms are not simply meant to be read. They are meant to be used, to be sung, to, to be memorized, to be prayed, to be meditated upon. There's just so much there to fill our hearts and minds with God's truth about, about who He is and who He wants to be in our lives. Powerful. Psalms are so great. Next is Proverbs. Job, Psalms, Proverbs in this section of wisdom literature. How many of you attended We College as a kid? Probably not a whole lot of you. How many? Oh, wow. Hold your hands up. Hold, this, is, this is cool. Okay. We College is a children's program, preschool, uh, that uh, breaks, takes the, the Bible and, and puts it in these sections, by the way. I don't know if we've mentioned that before. Our kids attended that, a PAOC-initiated, uh, excellent, biblical-based uh, uh, children's um, teaching program, really, is what, it, is what it was. Anyway, this book of Proverbs, a favorite book for, for Miriam and I. We've journeyed through it many times. It's so insightful, uh, just great to journal through. Uh, Proverbs is, and reflecting on your own life. Um, Proverbs 3 is one of the readings for your small group uh, this week. I'd say, I think it's verse 1 to 15. Um, I, I'd say read the whole chapter because it vividly reminds us of the importance and the supremacy of wisdom. There's only one kind, there's only one kind of true wisdom, and it's God's, right? That's the assumption, of course. 
the author of Proverbs was Solomon, who was the son of David, who we just talked about, the leader of Israel, author of many of the Psalms, uh, the same David who killed uh, Goliath as a, as a young shepherd boy. Uh, last Sunday, Pastor Joel, in his excellent message, um, and if you missed it, go online and you can listen or, or now watch it there. Uh, he, he referred, Pastor Joel referred to 1 Kings chapter 3, about uh, the story about Sol, uh, Solomon's defining moment where God appeared to him in a dream. And it's, it's worth reading on your own. But, but in a nutshell, God says something amazing to Solomon. Imagine this, if God came to you and he asked this question. We talked a little bit about this in our small group uh, this past week. Um, ask for whatever you want me to give you, Solomon. Probably took him back a bit. Well, really? Ask, God says to Solomon, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Seriously. Wow. Now, I don't know. I don't know if it indicates there, but did he answer right away? Did he go away and think about it? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a big question. And if you know God, he can do anything. Imagine if he asked you that. That's, that's kind of cool. And so what does Solomon ask for? He asks for wisdom to rule well. That's what he asks for. I, God, I just, I just want, there's a lot of things I could ask. I just want wisdom to rule well as king. Your people, to rule your people well. Wow, that, isn't that impressive? I think that shows character and integrity to, to ask that, for that to be his answer. Good response. Way to go, Solomon. I mean, God recognizes that Job, or sorry, Solomon could have, uh, could have uh, you know, asked for anything, for riches, for honor, and, and uh, a, new, a new ski boat, as we talked about in our small group. I, I wouldn't be so trivial. I just want you to know that. But we did talk about that. Well, God grants his noble request, and it is noble, for wisdom. But we know, those that know the story, God also gives him the things that he didn't ask. He gives him riches because of his answer. He gives him riches. He gives him honor. And so we see that, that Solomon's wisdom came right from God. Therefore, it's not surprising that uh, just one chapter later, Solomon's wisdom is defined this way in 1 Kings 4. Solomon's wisdom exceeded all the wise men of the east and the wise men of Egypt. He, he composed some 3,000 uh, proverbs and wrote 1,005. Don't forget about the five. Interesting. This is what it says in the Bible. Uh, 1,005, the Bible's precise. Rabbit trail averted. Impressed, Miriam? Yeah. A thousand and five songs. And then verse 33 of First Kings 4. He could speak, Solomon. He could speak with authority about all kinds of plants, from the great cedar of Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows from cracks in a wall. He could all, like, that's, wow, precision. He could also speak about animals, birds, small creatures, and fish. And kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. There's my next trivial pursuit partner, I'll tell you that. Amazing. Wisdom from God. In Proverbs, this wisdom comes through uh, concise and direct statements about, about character and discernment, about sound judgment and what is true, about how life works, uh, about, about you know, how to discern between wise action and foolish action. Uh, um, wisdom from God through Solomon in Proverbs about the, the discipline of children. Uh, about sex, uh, about our speech, about marriage, about money, and much, much 
more. Read it. And, and, and many of you I know, as, as we do very often, will add uh, well, Psalms and Proverbs often to wherever we're reading in Scripture. Um, but, but maybe find a month with 31 days. We're already into October. But anyway, uh, you can start tomorrow. And that'll carry you into November, reading one chapter a day, because there's 31 in Proverbs, right? I'm pretty good at math. Um, but uh, one a day, it's just, it's, it's cool. If, you, if you've not done that, I, I encourage you to do that. A couple of examples of how Solomon doesn't sugarcoat anything, those of you that have read. Proverbs 6. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. What a vivid picture he creates. Can you imagine? Fire. just I mean, we're sitting by the fireplace. Spark. One little spark. Ah, ah, ah. Oh. That's me. Maybe not you. I'm a wuss. A uh, little spark. But Solomon, a fire. Planted. Planted. Set on your lap. Can you do that and your clothes not be burned? Much less your skin underneath. Solomon kept from getting graphic and gross. No. The answer is no. So it is with the one who sleeps with another man's wife. Come on, guys, he's saying. Wow. Proverbs eleven twenty two. Like a gold ring. Starts so nice. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout. You can read it. Proverbs eleven twenty two, is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. Not even going to unpack the possibilities there. I'm just not. Rabbit trail number two, averted. Yet in in all these great statements of wisdom, the most important and the most often repeated in in, in Proverbs is about the fear of the Lord. Some of you have heard that phrase. Some of you maybe not. The fear of the Lord. Many references. To fear the Lord, Proverbs says, Solomon says, is to hate evil. To fear the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. Or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Love it. And on and on about the fear of God. Well, and, and by fear is not meant uh, like, like we would, the connotation comes to our mind as, as terror. No. No. Reckless sin, unrepentant heart, Yes, the judgment for our sin was put on Christ, and we get to be privy to that now. But if we continue that trajectory, there is this fear component that is real. When we're talking rebellious and sinful trajectory in life, it doesn't come to the place of surrender and submission to the gift of God's forgiveness, okay? That's another discussion. But the, but the word, really, take, take this away. The word to, in, in Proverbs, when you read it, the fear of the Lord, is, is, it's, not, it's not about walking on eggshells with God. It's a, sense of, it's a sense of awe and reverence and respect because we know how powerful He is and how loving and compassionate He is that He wants us to give Him our sin so that Jesus can forgive it and we come into relationship with Him. That's what fear means. It's recognizing His authority and, 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 and living in a way that shows that, that, that deep sense of awe and respect for Almighty, all-powerful, all-loving, perfectly holy God, Creator and Heavenly Father. So, walking in the fear of God means that kind of posture before God. I need to move on. Next book, uh, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. 
those of you that read it, you remember, you remember how it starts? <laughs> I mean, it, it begins with such deep encouragement, doesn't it? <laughs> Meaningless. I can just hear Solomon. Meaningless. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Wow. How encouraging. Thought the Bible was supposed to be uplifting. Hmm. Interesting. What's that all about? Well, very simply, Solomon writes this book toward the end of his life, and to understand it, we must read it all the way to the end. Stay with me. As, as I just referred to, he starts off by calling everything meaningless. He says, some things that don't seem to line up with much of the rest of the Bible. That's because Solomon, he started his life as being faithful and walking before God, being faithful to God. And then he drifted from that place. And he's just honestly expressing here in Ecclesiastes at the beginning of the, throughout the book, He's, he's expressing about how meaningless, how empty life is without God in the picture. Referred to in Ecclesiastes, you'll see this phrase, life under the sun, S-U-N. Life under the sun. In other words, it's, a, it's his way of saying life that keeps God. Life that is just the physical that I see. Life that doesn't include God. It's just, just life under the, under the physical sun doing our thing. So when he says work is meaningless, study and pleasure is meaningless, uh, riches are meaningless, he goes on and on. He speaks the truth because he's talking about a life that doesn't invite God to guide and bring meaning to all of those things. It's not those things are wrong. They're, they're gifts from God. And when God is included in the picture and allowed to guide and lead my life and my uh, enjoyment and interaction with those things, then, then life is not just lived under the sun. It, it, it's lived with the, the sun, S-O-N, being a part of the picture in my life. Changes everything. Changes everything. Solomon discovered that nothing apart from God could satisfy his deepest longing. And that's why we have to read to the end where in the last chapter, Ecclesiastes 12, he says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. He chooses to speak directly to young people who are just starting out. What a place to lay that foundation of remembering your creator, remembering that he loves you, remembering that he has the best in store for you. Remember that his will, his desires for your life are best. They do not have to be scary. Because he loves you most and he knows you best. And you can start anywhere on that, by the way. If you're 50 and, and, and life has been what Solomon describes it to be as meaningless, hopeless, painful, uh, no purpose. What's going on? That's your day to start. <laughs> that's, your stay. that's your day to be young. And you will be spiritually and relationally with God. And that will excite God and many others. Step into that if that's you. Encourage you to do that. And then at the end of the same chapter, Ecclesiastes 12, he says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. In other words, again, reverence God through your life and obey him. Because, again, he knows you best and loves you most. And he just knows best. He really does. So by the end of his life, Solomon realized fully that God was the only way to experience meaning. And that's where the great wisdom comes in. 
Last book in the Wisdom Lit section here. My personal favorite, Song of Solomon. I'm kind of kidding, but maybe I, I shouldn't have said that. That was Rabbit Trail 3, taken wrongly. Song of Solomon. I mean, this is the book that made your mom blush, right? Yeah, those of you for whom this was your situation growing up, you had family devotions around, imagine this, around the table at supper or whenever it is you did it. And it could have well have been that for you, everyone around the family took turns reading. You're reading through the Psalms. Oh, great. Read, well, maybe as an eight-year-old, I remember doing family devotions, and I think I referred to this once a while back where it was like my mind was more on getting out to play. I'm not building myself up here. But anyway, um, get to Proverbs and family reading, sharing the reading, good discussion. Proverbs is great. And then Ecclesiastes, a little different, but, but good. And, and Dad would finish Ecclesiastes by stressing Solomon's words that we just talked about. Kids, remember your Creator. Always, always put Him first in your life. Just good spiritual moments, good times as a family around the Word of God. And then, and then Mom. Mom would dive in and snatch the Bible and nervously skip over to the Gospels. Okay, kids, we're going to read about Jesus now. <laughs> Little Johnny, 14-year-old Johnny, is like, what? Come on. I mean, he knew what was next. He's heard that there's this Song of Solomon book in the Bible that, you know, and uh, yeah. he's feeling cheated right now, actually. Mom! Actually, come to think of it, he probably wouldn't want to read the book with his parents, let's be real. So, <laughs> Song of Solomon is a love poem that celebrates, in all seriousness now, the gift of sex that God designed that might surprise some of you. Yeah, it's God's idea. God designed it and intends it to be enjoyed, yes, enjoyed, between a married man and a woman which is God's design from the very beginning of creation, and something Jesus reaffirmed in the New Testament, contrary to popular belief. Sex of any kind, outside of God's loving and wise pattern, is detrimental. It's detrimental. You may not think so. Uh, Hollywood, certainly, Hollywood certainly doesn't paint it that way, but, but, but it's true. Sexual sin of any kind outside God's design that is clear in the early, very early part of the first book of the Bible is harmful mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. It is. On, on a, a side note, if your friends think that you know, God is anti-sex. Your friends that maybe aren't Christians or aren't familiar with the Bible, if they think God is anti-sex, just say, here, read this. Give them Song of Solomon. I'm only being serious. It's worth mentioning that Song of Solomon is put in this group of wisdom books because there is great wisdom in living out our sexuality as God intends it. Great wisdom there. In Song of Solomon, there are uh, male speakers and female speakers. So, a couple examples. Solomon chapter 1, verse 2. She says this, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. 
uh, verse 13 in that chapter. Uh, we'll keep it PG. Miriam didn't want me to read that one, but verse... Okay, let's go to verse 15. Some of you are reading it right now. I'll give you a moment just to soak that in. Um, verse, verse 15 and 16. He says, the male speaker, how beautiful you are, my darling. Your eyes are like doves. And then the woman responds, you're so handsome, my love, pleasing beyond words. The soft grass is our bed. Okay, going to stop there. Some of you married couples can finish your homework tonight. Can thank me later. My kids right now are, even the married ones, Dad, please stop. I hear your voices in my head. So let's move on. Um, but husbands, be careful about using words from Song of Solomon to create a romantic mood. It might start out okay, but could backfire with some of the ancient imagery that's used as, as an example. Okay, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. You are beautiful, beautiful beyond words. Your eyes are like doves. We just read that. Behind your veil. Okay, it's a bit strange uh, comparison, but doves are nice. Don't usually see you in a veil that one day, maybe years ago. But uh, he continues, your hair falls in waves. Okay, it's good. Like flocks of goats. <laughs> really? Really? Like flock, literally, read it. Like flocks of goats winding down the slopes of Gilead, some mountain, some big mountain. Okay, Solomon. Verse 2 Your teeth are as white as sheep, recently shorn. They are not white, they are pink. You ever seen a recently shorn? Anyway, anyway. And then he says, and freshly washed. Good. I guess he's trying to say, thank you, honey, for brushing your teeth. I, it's interesting. So try, try some of Solomon's words in your next, I don't know, I'm just saying. If, if, you're, if you're looking for good anniversary card material, be careful what you pick, okay? A final thought here, and some of you are saying, thank you for that is that this book is not just about, it's not just about pleasure, it's, just, it's not just about merry, intimacy and marriage, but it's about holiness. It really is. It's about holiness. Because again, sex as created by God is, is, is to be experienced in the context of a sacred union of which marriage is, as defined by God in the Bible. No matter what culture says, God's Word is supreme. And we can believe and hold to and, and, and aspire and hope that others will latch on to God's way of doing life, even in sexuality, and still love, genuinely love, and we must still genuinely love people who view this very differently. about holiness. Song of Solomon reminds us of that. So, that's the wisdom books. Read them. You'll see the heart and life of Jesus there. Finished the third leg, as of now, in the 
seven-leg journey through the Bible. We pass the baton to Harvey Realton next Sunday as he has the tiny task to lead us through 17 books, the prophets, major and minor. So please pray for him. There's a reason I gave that message to Harvey. It's going to be good. There might be someone or more than one person here who, and most Sundays there are, a few people that are, are, are in process of searching, asking questions about eternity, about, about life, about the meaning of, of what, you know, big questions. Every question can be found in the person of Jesus Christ and, and in His Word. And understanding those big questions starts with life surrender. That, that's the desire of God for each one of us. Life surrender to Him because He knows. He loves us most and He knows us best. And He wants to walk with you through this life and into the next. The God who created everything we see and everything we can't see out there wants to be in an eternal and personal relationship with you. And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and come to the place to say, ah, Jesus, I, I, I realize you died on the cross for me. Heavenly Father, you sent your son because you loved me that, that much. Jesus, you voluntarily came because you loved me that much. I want to I trust you. I want to place my trust in you and step across that, that, that demarcation, that line. The Bible says from darkness to light. Interesting. Step of faith to trust you as the forgiver of my sin, that bottom line is the barrier between us and God, right? Trust you as the forgiver of my sin and the leader of my life. I'm going to ask in these moments for Christians in this room, which most of us are, to pray. And if you would bow your heads and just close your eyes and respecting the, the privacy in this moment. And yet, of course, uh, coming to Christ is a, is a very, uh, very cool thing to be celebrated. And, and there's, there's a time for that, of course. And to, to, to profess verbally and outwardly your, your commitment to Christ. Important and, and exciting to be able to do. But, but right now, I just ask for uh, eyes to be, to be closed and Christians praying for, for somebody in this room who may not know Christ. These last several Sundays, by God's grace, there's been people that are expressing a desire to know God personally for the first time or, or recommitting to Him. And I want to give you that opportunity again this morning. And I would simply ask that you, that you look my way and you raise your hand. And, and I'm not going to point you out and make you stand or anything, but I, I'm going to pray for you in the closing prayer. And hopefully you'll give us opportunity. There's a... Actually... I'll refer to the slide in a moment. Those of you that commit your life to Christ, we'd love to come alongside you and support you and, and celebrate with you. And, and you can text the word Jesus at that, that same number, and that'll give us the opportunity to, to connect with you if, you if you give us that opportunity. Is there anybody in this place this morning that would say, I want to give my life to Jesus on this Thanksgiving Sunday? Or I want to re-surrender, recommit my life to Christ. I've wandered. I want to recommit my life to Christ today. Anybody in these moments? And I'll pause for about 10 seconds. Thank you. And I'm not saying thank you because you, it's just, 
Thank you for your honesty and your courage. So cool. The Bible actually says the angels are celebrating right now. Luke 15, when someone makes that commitment. Thank you for your honesty and courage up at the front here. God bless you. Thanks for raising your hand. Thanks for raising your hand at the back. God sees your heart. God loves every one of you and sees the expression of what's going on inside right now. So cool. Greatest. Off to my right. Thank you. I see your hand, ma'am, to my, to my right. Greatest, most exciting, eternal decision. It's an eternal decision. Your eternal trajectory and location, actually, is, is changed because of this moment for you today. So, Father, I thank you for each one of these individuals who have outwardly expressed just a, a desire that most of us have in this, in this room to, to, to know you, to follow you, to live for you, to, to live under your loving guidance in this thing we call life that can be so challenging. And that, God, we don't have to work any, we don't have to work to receive your gift of salvation. We just, we just receive it. And I pray in Jesus' name that these individuals in their own heart and mind with the with the public expression of their commitment to you coming, <laughs> that, that you would reveal your truth to them, that they can be free. You died so they wouldn't have to and be separated from you. That there'd be freedom in their life. They, they would feel, they would sense, they would know the forgiveness of Jesus Christ for every sin, every wrong thing they've done. As so many of us have experienced, we're grateful for that. We thank you. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, with the heart you believe, with the mouth confession is made to salvation. It's important that you share with somebody what you did today. And one of the ways you can do that is, to, is, is either to fill out a connection card and let me know the commitment you made today. And leave a, uh, if you're comfortable, leaving a, a, an email or a cell number. I, I'd love to just touch base and, and chat a little bit and pray with you and, and uh, help you in any way we can to, to put your roots down in your, this new relationship with Jesus. Or again, the, the, on the screen you'll see the, the cell number and you, you just text the word, the name, the powerful name, Jesus, Jesus. Text Jesus. I don't know if you've ever done that before. You can, you, you can look my way. Uh, we, were, we were testing this. Pastor Joel set this up. Put it in my phone. I was one number off. So somebody got this random text, Jesus. So we were just saying, ah, we'll pray that God will speak to that person. So catch the number and uh, give us the opportunity to come alongside you. Way to go, those of you that raised your hands today. Father, I pray for every person in this place that love for your word and, and for wisdom literature. We, we would uh, take your word into our minds and into our hearts so that we can live wisely. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.